The following presentation was recorded at the Newbury Buddhist Monastery, Victoria, Australia. Please visit our website at nbm.org.au. So a very warm welcome to the this New Year's event being live streamed from Newbury Buddhist Monastery um, this evening. Uh, so I would just like to mention the uh, format for this evening. I will be giving a talk probably for about half an hour. And then after that, we will have some Q&A uh, from uh, Ayo Peka myself and also for from Venerable Aranavihari. And after that, we'll have some chanting, uh, a New Year's Eve uh, blessing chanting, which will also will, will encourage you to join in. And as the words will be given, the text, the text for the chanting will be shown as, as the chanting proceeds. And after that, that will be after midnight, we will chant in the new year. Isn't that nice? <laughs> Chanting the Buddha's words for the new year. And then after that, there will be a short uh, blessing, concluding comments, uh, well-wishing for the new year from myself, from Venmarana Vihari and Ayurapeka. So that will be the format for this evening. So I'd just like to, to begin this Dhamma talk with just saying what a year it has been. And of course, you've just heard from our president, Adrian T., you know, about all the things that have happened and some of the things, positive things that have come out of this year, this very, very difficult year. And of course, we've had the bushfires, we've had COVID-19 and two lockdowns here in Victoria. So it's been quite a challenging year for many people. Um, though, as Adrian mentioned, there have been some pluses and um, and some of the uh, some of the members I know have found that their practices actually developed even more during this COVID uh, lockdowns because it's been an opportunity to listen to more dhamma, practice more meditation, and develop uh, develop the path. So I'd like to begin the teaching with uh, a short but very stunning um, quote from the the Buddha, the word of the Buddha. I think this will be very good because if you are like us, you're probably feeling quite tired, a bit sleepy, and this will certainly wake you up. It's, it's that sort of teaching from the Buddha. And this teaching takes place when King Pesenity came to see the Buddha. He came uh, just after the meal, which I think is well after midday, which is an unusual time to come. And the Buddha said to King Pesenity, What do you think, great king? Here a man would come to you from the east, one who is trustworthy and reliable. Having approached, he would tell you, For sure, great king, you should know this. I am coming from the east, and there I saw a great mountain as high as the clouds coming this way, crushing all living beings. Do, do whatever you think should be done, great king. Then a second man would come from the west, then a third man would come from the north, and then a fourth man would come from the south, announcing the same news. And so then the Buddha said to King Pesenity, If great king, such a great peril should arise, such a terrible destruction of human life, the human state being so difficult to obtain, what should be done? So I'd just like to pause here and just ask, how would you reply to the Buddha? 
What would your reply be? What would you do in this situation if you're surrounded by these huge towering mountains that are bearing down on you and crushing everything uh, in their path? What would you do? Of course, it would be overwhelming, a situation like that. And naturally, to begin with, there would be some fear and panic coming up. But I think we would, most of us would think, uh, would think or become aware of what was most important in our life. What would be important to do before we got crushed by this big mountain? What did we need to do? What were those things in our lives? And of course, it would be things like family and friends, these things, things that you can give to other people, very positive things. And I think what an extraordinary teaching is because the Buddha is starting straight away. What do you do with this situation with this huge mountain coming, bearing down on you? It's very dramatic and powerful the way he, he put it. And what a way to start a teaching. And I think... If you hear that when you've heard that, I think, uh, like for me, it certainly wakes you up. And one of the things it reminded me of is uh, it reminds me of because it's so graphic was Monty Python or a cartoon with these big mountains bearing down on a person. And of course, this is what the Buddha is famous for really unforgettable similes that really make us. Uh, they're unforgettable. We, we think of them. They stick in the mind and they remind us of the Buddha's teaching. You know, after this talk, you may not remember much, but you might remember the, the simile of the mountains. But this is what King Persenides' reply was. If, Venerable Sir, such a great peril should arise, what else should be done but to live by the Dhamma, to live righteously and do wholesome and meritorious deeds? Was this how you would have answered? <laughs> I don't know what you had in mind. But uh, and what could this mountains, these mountains symbolize? And of course, you know, immediately think this is very similar to COVID-19. People feel this. It's coming closer, especially in places like America, where it's very bad at the moment, in Britain. And of course, the, the, the bushfires and many other problems that um, we experience in life. But this is what the Buddha uh, mentions. He says to the meaning of the great mountain. He says, I inform you, great king. I announce to you, great king, aging and death are rolling in on you. When aging and death are rolling in on you, great king, what should be done? And then King Persenide, really good, actually. He says, as aging and death are rolling in on me, Venerable Sir, what else should be done but to live by the Dhamma, to live righteously, and to do wholesome and meritorious deeds? And then the Buddha agrees with uh, King Persenides' answer and repeats the whole of it. It's amazing for a king, he shows a lot of wisdom in this sutta and, and other suttas from this uh, collection in the uh, Connected Discourses. And it's the one on uh, the teachings to King Persenity. So how do we make uh, the new year a good year? That's what I am, uh, the, the theme of this talk is, how do we make the new year a good year? How do we live by the Dhamma? 
live righteously and do wholesome and meritorious deeds. And of course, this is practicing the Dhamma, for sure, practicing the Dhamma. But we'll go into some detail. And so this is how we can make the new year uh, good, no matter what happens. Because if we're practicing Dhamma, it makes it more meaningful, more joyful, and we can make it more beneficial for ourselves and others. So this is the point of it. And we can reflect. We can't control what happens. And this year has been a perfect example, as uh, Adrian called it, of Ajahn Ajahn, uh, COVID teaching us about impermanence, change, uncertainty, unpredictability, unreliability. So we can't control things. But what we can not necessarily control, but how we respond is up to us. And we can respond in a positive, a wholesome way to these situations that we find ourselves in, or in a negative, an unwholesome way, which will only make things worse. So it's up to us how we deal, how we respond. But really, the way we respond will depend on what habits or tendencies we have developed, we've encouraged in our mind. So this is where the Dhamma practice, the training, is so important for when we get to situations that are difficult to deal with. So how do we respond in a positive way and make a a uh, difficult year better? Or next year is another year. (laughs) Of course, the idea of the new year is actually a convention, but it's a useful convention, isn't it? That we can start the year with uh, intentions or resolutions for doing it, uh, improving uh, and doing things better. But of course, the way we can make the new year a good year is to develop the mind. And this is, of course, the, the teaching, the central teaching of the Buddha is to avoid and let go of negative states and develop and maintain positive states. This sounds simple, doesn't it? <laughs> and of course, I often say that the shortcut is to uh, uh, develop the mind, is to develop positive states of mind and maintain them. And that helps us avoid them and it makes it easier for letting go of negative states when they have arisen. So, and it's very much a part of the understanding that the Buddha is, is talks about in many places that the state of our mind actually uh, determines the way we experience the life, uh, the world we live in. And we see that, you know, that if the uh, people who have very negative states of mind, that world will appear like that. It will fe- appear depressing, fearful. It will create anxiety. And of course, the Buddha mentions to us the mind is the forerunner of all dhammas. This can be translated as all experience or all things. Manopubangama dhamma. So, I'd, my uh, so if we can make the mind beautiful, the w- the world we will experience will be beautiful. And I've been uh, teaching here at the monastery actually uh, after our, after the meal that about Ajahn Brahm's beauty parlor. Ajahn Brahm's beauty parlor. Do you know what that is? It's his monastery, <laughs> but it's not a beauty parlor for the body. It's a beauty parlor for the mind, for de- developing positive um, uh, emotions, for developing wisdom and understanding. Uh, 
that will change everything. And of course, you know, we see, you know, when we have a good meditation, we have deep meditation, that it it affects the way we see the world. And I, I think of Ajahn Brahm's experience that he often tells us about of of uh, various things, various experiences. But one is when he was walking, doing walking meditation in Thailand, in northeast Thailand. And he was walking up and down on a concrete floor and his mind was getting more and more peaceful. And the concrete became so beautiful that he thought it should be in an art gallery. <laughs> of course, later, when his mind wasn't so clear, so peaceful, so pure, that concrete return to being ordinary concrete. But it shows us, you know, how the mind creates the world we live in, the quality of our minds. So this is very important for, important reason for meditating because it purifies the mind and it uh, gives us clarity for seeing the world clearly because when we're meditating, if the meditation is going well, those five hindrances are out of the way. And so the mind is much purer, purer, clearer and brighter. And so, and also one thing that happens too with uh, meditation when it's going well is the thinking subsides or disappears completely. So that smoke screen that we, <laughs> that's going on, this commentary that's going on, um, throughout our day is not there. And so we can just see what's there, see what's happening in the present moment, can experience the five senses much, much more clearly. So people, when they have a good meditation, they often come out and say, oh, things are, the sky is looking much bluer, the trees are looking much greener, the birds are sounding very sweet, and so on. So this is how the mind makes our world. And so if we work on the mind, if we make it beautiful, that world will be similar. So what follows now is some beauty tips, some practical beauty tips we can use for 2021 for beautifying our minds. And a lot of that is to for developing our emotional intelligence, but also for developing wisdom and insight that changes everything. So many people, don't they, over the new year, uh, for the new year, we make these resolutions, you know, I'm going to give up smoking, I'm going to give up drinking, I'm going to give up this and that, drugs, whatever it is. And so letting go of bad intent, bad habits. And this is, this is something people do uh, very often. And obviously they think this is very good for them. And of course it is good for them. But one of the things that most people will say is these resolutions don't last very long. <laughs> Before they know it, people have, uh, the resolution has been forgotten and things are back to usual quite often. So we can say, why is that, you know, that these resolutions we can't keep to? And the main reason is because we're using willpower. We're not using wisdom power, we're using willpower. And we're not enjoying what we're doing. You know, we're not enjoying giving up whatever we've given up, not seeing that actual fact it's it's actually given us freedom from something that's really um, limiting our freedom. But also it means that we haven't found something else, some other happiness that will uh, make it easier to to continue letting that go. 
So as a result, we can't sustain it. So a very important principle of meditation, of life in, de- in general, actually, is that we need to enjoy what we're doing. If we do, uh, and we see the benefit in what we're doing, we'll be able to keep it going. And so this will, this will be, you know, something that we can really cultivate, really develop. So some of these practical tips, and I would suggest, you know, maybe one or two, whatever you, uh, uh, I think one or two of them would be very uh, possible to develop. So these are just some suggestions that, um, you know, I think can be very helpful. I find them very helpful. And one of them would be taking, I do this every day actually, take the refuges every day. This is a refuge in the Buddha, the Dhamma and the Sangha. And it reminds us when we do that of the highest. And also something, when we think of the Buddha, Dhamma and Sangha, something that won't let us down. Because it is the highest, because the Buddha, the Dhamma and the the Arya Sangha, this is the awakened Sangha, are pure, they're without defilements. And they they, uh, embody the Dhamma too. So this is reality without distortion, wisdom with compassion, with kindness. And the Dhamma, we can, we can see as like this sanity in the midst of insanity that we're surrounded by. What a great island it is. And the great um, blessing of the Buddha is the right view that he gave us, which is a map of reality. And you can see, you know, why the mess, the world is in such a mess, actually, because there is no understanding of right view, consequences of our actions of body, speech and mind. And when we develop the, uh, when we take the three refuges, it can bring up the emotion of faith or confidence. And this is a lovely emotion that gives us a sense of stability, very good for meditation, something we can rely on, and a sense of, aren't I so lucky (laughs) to have this refuge? So few people do have that refuge. So that's one thing, taking refuges, uh, taking the three refuges every day. And another is to every day take the five precepts on your own, just take it. And this is a very good reminder of the, these guidelines for our conduct of body, speech and mind. You know, not to kill living beings intentionally, not to steal, not to take things that haven't been given, not to engage in sexual misconduct, not to lie, not to take alcohol and drugs that cloud the mind. So these are actually a very, very um, valuable contribution to our peace and to the peace of the world. Because peace begins here. Peace begins at home in each of us. So it's something that we can... Uh, give to the world and we can also see what uh, what happens when people don't keep the five precepts when they don't have these moral guidelines these guidelines for virtue we can see the harm and hurt that this creates in the world just on the news <laughs> we can see it in uh, very often and of course it's the stuff of teledramas this is what teledramas are made up of and when we take the ref, uh, take the uh, the pr- five precepts every day, it builds up this sense of self-esteem and worth, which is, is very gives a strength to us and a, a stability to us too. We know we're doing our best. We may not be perfect, but we're doing our best. So, 
And another thing that we can do, and this can bring that happiness, reflecting on the fact that we are doing our best, we are making this contribution. Um, each of these suggestions should give a sense of happiness to uh, to the this undertaking. And at least once a day to give something to someone. Isn't this nice? This is a nice way to create happiness in the mind. And this we call dana, of course, but it doesn't have to be, you know, something material, food or clothing, medicine or any of these things. It can be just a listening to a person, <laughs> even sharing a joke that can lift their uh, frame of mind, a nice smile when somebody is feeling down, anything like this, a genuine smile can be a huge gift. And as I mean, as we have that saying from the uh, uh, Bible, actually, from the New Testament, give and you shall receive. And of course, what you shall receive, what we receive? Happiness. So giving is a great antidepressant. <laughs> so very good. And uh, another thing that we can uh, develop, this is a real smorgasbord this evening, is every day to think about something we are grateful for, something we are thankful for, using, I use the mantra, I'm so lucky, and then I think of what I'm so lucky for. And this is a very, very useful, useful way to develop free happiness. So we can do that, develop thankfulness. Or we can develop contentment. This is a very nice emotion of really... Being, and to use the phrase, famous the phrase that Ajahn Brahm uses actually, happy to be here. <laughs> and especially, this is very useful when the mind is, is not happy to be here. When things are difficult, we, we can just use this phrase to bring up, to settle the mind when there's discontent or restlessness and just happy to be here, even when things are difficult. And when we do that, we can let go of the wanting. The mind will become peaceful, more peaceful. We don't have a lot to do <laughs> when we let go of wanting. And it gives rise to happiness and steadiness in the mind. So this is wonderful. And we don't need to go anywhere. We don't need to do anything. And we don't need to get anything. So we can rest when we're content. And a very another very good thing for another beauty tip would be to uh, meditate every day to meditate at least once, to meditate every day at least once for five to twenty minutes. Even a small amount of time makes a can make a big difference to the mind. When we meditate, the the mind has a chance to calm down, and when we come out of the meditation, it it's, it makes such a big difference to to the mind. It's moved on. It's let go of some of the moods, some of the negative things that have may perhaps been in the mind. It purifies the mind. So we can gradually build up meditation to you know, start from five minutes and then build up to 20 or more. And the important thing is to be kind to ourselves and not to force the mind or the body. This is not a, not a, a competition. <laughs> and to enjoy the meditation, very, very important and to notice the results and benefits. And of course, one of the uh, the very good results is to, to watch what Ajahn Brahm calls the peaceometer in the mind, to see, you know, that we are more peaceful, uh, that we are more calm, more tranquil, that we 
and not reacting so much to uh, things, you know, uh, good, bad things or, you know, things, unpleasant things that are happening to us. And also within meditation, you can see we're developing wisdom power, the, the power that understands how our minds work. If we understand how our minds work, we will understand how everyone else's mind works. And this is, uh, will be of great benefit for us. And some other things we can do. Another beauty tip is to, every day, to do something friendly and kind for yourself, of course, got to include yourself, and others. And this is, of course, metta, loving kindness or friendliness, I like, in action through the body, through speech, and through the mind. Because when we say something kind, that can really go to the heart. Uh, for somebody else can be really a treasure. Uh, so this is important. And to do something kind for uh, for someone else, is all, for ourselves and someone else, and to go out of our way to help them. This is this can be a, a, a practice from for of metta. Because the Buddha mentions how do we practice metta, loving kindness, friendliness through body, speech, and mind, not just in meditation. It has to come through our speech and also our actions. But of course, doing some uh, uh, metta meditation, some loving-kindness meditation, reconditions the mind. So this is um, a very good way to uh, develop this feeling of metta that we can take into our daily, daily life. And how can we do that? I like to just reflect on the qualities of a best friend and see the feelings that come up from that, and then give it to myself, fill the body and the mind with this feeling of being a best friend to myself. And then after that, to radiate it in ever-widening circles to all the beings, not only human beings, animals, insects, in big, widen, ever-widening circles to cover the whole planet and all realms of existence. So this is a nice sharing that we can give. There's a part of metta too, loving kindness to share. And if you uh, would like to uh, find different approaches to uh, loving kindness meditation, there are many on the internet, so you can have a look. But this being one's own best friend, is I, f I find very nice, very good, very helpful. And also we can uh, we can help someone who is going through a tough time. And this, of course, is, you know, the tough time might be sickness, it might be a relationship breakup, it might be a financial hardship, whatever it is. And we can help in whatever way we can by putting ourselves in their place. And I like, um, Ayakima used to say, compassion means calm is with and passion is feeling. That's quite nice, isn't it? Feeling with them. But importantly, not suffering with them. Because, as Aikima used to say, otherwise there are two people suffering instead of one. <laughs> so this is quite an important thing. So compassion is another practice we can develop in the new year. We should develop in the old year too, <laughs> to make the mind beautiful. And of course, the that's karuna. Uh, but now another one, another beauty hint is to delight in other people's successes and good qualities. This is mudita. And this is wonderful because it's free happiness for us. 
when we hear of somebody's good success or we see a wonderful quality, maybe they're generous, maybe they're very kind, we can feel a lot of happiness for that, for their success, for that good quality that they have. And when we do this, it makes a bond, a connect with these people. And we can use, if it's a good quality, we can use that as a role model for ourselves to develop. So it's very useful to delight in other people's success, successes and good qualities. And now for the last, for Upeka, of course, Upeka, this is, I'm doing the four Brahma Viharas, accepting ourselves and others as we are at this moment, at this moment. This is Upeka. We have Aya Upeka here. <laughs> and so we can make peace with ourselves, life and others. And that's not always easy. Accepting ourselves and others as we are with warmth and kindness. Upeka is not a cold indifference. It's not that at all. It's got um, this loving kindness, this friendliness in it as well. But it recognizes that we can change. But at the moment, we are like what we are because of our past conditioning, because of our past karma, a body, action and speech. And the mind particularly, it shapes the world we live in. And it shapes how we are at this moment. But this is not set in concrete. It's, we can change. We can change. But we need this acceptance of things as they are quite often. When we can't change them particularly. And I think this is the last one actually. Getting close to it. Developing wisdom and developing our wisdom power to deal with life's ups and downs. Now, this is very important because this is what COVID-19 has done, hasn't it? It's really um, forced us to, to develop more wisdom to deal with the uncertainty, the unpredictability of uh, the situations with COVID-19. But it's investigating, isn't it? Using wisdom power is investigating our experience, whether it be pleasant or unpleasant. Usually it's the unpleasant <laughs> we want to investigate. And this helps us to see it rather than be it. I think this is an important thing. When we're investigating something, we are not so overwhelmed by that uh, experience that we're investigating, that emotion we're investigating that mind state we're investigating, which could be very unpleasant. And in the process, we suffer less. And it's, uh, we can develop this, under the, uh, we can develop insight, which is really understood experience. When we understand our experience, that is insight. When we really uh, make connections and see what's going on, and we can put it into actions, action. And of course, the area for for most uh, most important area for this, you know, developing this sort of wisdom, is the four noble truths. To you know, when we're having a difficult time, to recognise this as suffering, and to recognise where what's causing this, what's what's causing this to uh, this suffering that I'm experiencing, and it's very important to to actually be very honest with ourselves and recognize these that states coming up and then to look into why they're coming up. What's the cause? And then, of course, having seen the cause, 
we can remedy the situation. We can let go of that difficulty, that problem, that suffering in our lives. And also we can see a way of remedying this suffering, a path for it. This, of course, Noble Eightfold Path. So this is the summary. This is the beauty tips that I have for 2021. Actual fact, the same beauty tips for 2020 too. <laughs> but these are all very important ways we can develop positive states of mind. We can develop happiness in the practice, which is very important for our lives and will sustain us, will enable us to continue with these practices because we enjoy them. We're getting, uh, seeing benefit from them. So these different things like taking refuge, developing the uh, five precepts, like meditating, developing thankfulness, uh, developing contentment, all these things, and developing loving kindness, developing compassion, developing joy with other successes and good qualities, and developing Upeka. These and developing wisdom, these are all things that we can develop. But I'd suggest one or two things, because otherwise it'll be indigestion. And, uh, and also we may not become as uh, develop it as well as possible if we take too many things. So I'd like to just uh, to uh, summarize by saying, please do use some of these things for the 2021 and it will be a beautiful year, even no matter what it's like, <laughs> because we can't predict what it will be like. And I know many people um, are fearful or anxious about the new year because they think, well, 2020 was like this. What will 2021 bring? That's fair enough, but it's not a pleasant mind state. And so these positive qualities that we can develop are a good response to a difficult often difficult situations. And it's also something, when we develop these uh, beauty tips, it's something we can share with others because these qualities that we're developing are qualities of the heart, of the mind, and other people can enjoy the benefits as well as ourselves. So a good motto to keep in mind for uh, 2021, every, every year it's uh, good, is Ajahn Brahm's motto make peace be kind and be gentle so i'd like just to finish with um that the dhamma talk there and i hope that you have success with these uh beauty tips and that you really have a beautiful mind and enjoy the results of it as well and so then uh, you can uh, let ajahn brahm know that ajahn brahm's beauty parlor is working <laughs> So thank you for listening to that. And now uh, I think we will have a short video, a short video, and then after that some Q&A. Um, and so please, please write your, Q, your, com, your questions, comments, and even complaints in the live chat um, uh, section. Thank you very much. So welcome to the Q&A session now. This will be about half an hour. And I think Ken's going to help us by reading out the questions. And if you have questions for a um, particular monk or nun, please uh, please let us know and that, 
we can answer uh, respectively. Thank you. Thank you, Ken. Thank you, Ajahn, for the wonderful talk. We've got two questions. To Ajahn, um, you mentioned about having a positive state of mind, mm. but isn't part of meditation to accept and, ob and observe any state the mind is in? Thank you. Yes, yes, of course it is. You know, that uh, comes from uh, that observation comes from a clear and peaceful mind. The more peer, uh, more clear, more peaceful, more pure it is. Of course, it it can see what's going on uh, very much in our lives, and so an important ingredient for that is to have happiness in the mind. That's a condition for we say the mind coming together, samadhi, and seeing things very clearly. Um, if we do not find happiness in the mind, we will look for happiness where we usually look for it, out there in the world, through seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting and touching. So it's very important for this to enable us uh, to reduce the defilements. And that's what we mean when the mind is more pure. Um, and then when the mind is more pure, we can see things more clearly. So that's the point of developing these happy states of mind. And as I say, you know, part of the, the very big reason for developing inner happiness is to wean us off looking for happiness outside ourselves. And this is, uh, this is something that will become, uh, support our lives because happiness is a, like, almost like a food for the mind, really. We need it. So this is the reason. And as I mentioned, you know, in meditation is the, twin aspect of you know making the mind peaceful making the mind happy we, we don't make it it we create the causes and conditions for it to become peaceful and happy but then to develop wisdom as well and we, when we develop wisdom about our own minds uh, we will understand other minds as i mentioned before and we'll also be able to see our difficulties our problems in perspective so this is a part of why we need happiness it's a it's a, almost like a food actually for the mind so i hope that uh, answered that question a little bit yeah is it mm -hmm. thank you thank you Ajahn. the next question the next question is what to do when the dhamma talks suttas you read and commentaries no longer seem to inspire and the opportunity to make offerings to the Sangha are not available. Oh, right, right. This, uh, yes. That's that's difficult when, you know, I, I often re I remember on one occasion, you know, uh, uh, talking to Ayakima and saying to her something similar, actually. I said, well, not about the, the suttas and so on, but saying that I wasn't feeling very inspired. And she said to me, she said, You've got to inspire yourself, <laughs> you know. And this is an important thing, quality. We've got to learn how to inspire ourselves, how to bring up this inner happiness. And you know, when the mind is uninspired, then everything else will look uninspiring. Then we, we when we read the suttas, we won't get that happiness. We won't get that understanding. Things won't uh, become clear to us. So this is an important aspect of inspiring ourselves, finding ways to inspire ourselves. And of course, the Buddha talks about, you know, 
reflecting on the qualities of the Buddha, that's a great way to inspire ourselves. Because not only the, the nine qualities that you have in the Itipiso of the Buddha, there are so many qualities one can think of, can, uh, res- uh, can uh, relate to about the Buddha. I mean, one is just the compassion of the Buddha, the wisdom of the Buddha. These things, such an extraordinary uh, being that saw with such clarity the human condition, all beings' conditions, really. But, you know, these uh, things that can inspire us, you can, can uh, also reflect on the Dhamma, that will inspire us and bring this sort of happiness and this inspiration into the mind. And then, you know, uh, the suttas, they will open up to you. I well remember when I first uh, started reading the suttas and I'd read them and then I'd hear Ajahn Brahm talk about them. He'd give a commentary about them. He, and I felt like, it was almost like a completely different sutta that he was talking about, you know, because what I'd read wasn't, it just scraped the surface a little bit. And what I heard really brought it to life. So a lot of this depends on our state of mind, of course, and, and also our knowledge. Um, and so we can reflect on the Dhamma. And we have the uh, qualities of the Dhamma that it's, it's something that's uh, uh, to be seen here and now. It's visible here and now, Sanditiko. It's a Kaliko. It doesn't take time. It's it's obvious in our experience, in our lives. If we have the right vision, we can see it's operating here and now. It can be seen here and now. So these things, and it's inviting us to to come and see, to look, to investigate. So this is a, this is wonderful qualities of the Dhamma. And of course, the Sangha, the Arya Sangha, these are the awakened monks and nuns, you know, those that have uh, trod the path to awakening. And, you know, when you read their verses, for instance, that can be very inspiring. And you see, one of the nice things about those verses, you see the difficulties they had. <laughs> and some of them had real difficulties. I mean, you know, like we think of Venerable Patachara. She was crazy when she met the Buddha because she had just lost a husband, two kids. She'd lost her parents, mum and dad, and a brother, all in the same day, they say. So she became completely deranged and had been wandering around the city in this state for quite some time before she met the Buddha. And the Buddha um, spoke, He, he instead of having her, um, you know, uh, um, shooed away, he invited her in and they covered her up and then he, I think what was the big thing for her, loving kindness, the Buddha's loving kindness, and he spoke to her, and then she could hear, and she settled down, and uh, then she even asked to go forth as a nun. And I, I often say to people, I don't know that I would have said yes. <laughs> I would have said, come back in six months. <laughs> we'll see how you're doing in six months. But a Buddha obviously knows the potential of such a person. And of course, Venerable Patachara became one of the foremost, I think, in, uh, not in wisdom, in, in uh, I think in Vinaya, actually. I think it was Vinaya, actually. So, But she saw very deeply impermanence, you know, the change. Because she'd seen that with her, with her, all her immediate family dying. You know, she saw her children dying. And that's like, somebody whose lifespan is very short, like water rolling down, running down a slope. 
and sinking into the ground. And if she saw a husband and brother die, and that's like water that just goes further, a little bit further down the slope, and then water that runs right down the slope, that's like her parents dying. And they say when she washed her feet one evening, that the mind came together then, mind could see clearly, and and then she had this breakthrough to the that the Dhamma became fully awakened. So we can get inspired by the stories of the enlightened monks and nuns. And also the Buddha encouraged us to reflect on our generosity, you know, our giving, our giving, to reflect on that and to uh, reflect on the, on the fact if we keep the five precepts, what a gift we're giving to ourselves and to others. So these things... Any way that we can inspire ourselves, you know, is very, very useful. And when you've inspired yourself, the mind is beautiful. <laughs> and so then, you know, the the Dhamma will open up and then uh, there'll be that happiness in the mind that actually allows us to see things much, much more clearly. So I hope that... Uh, so to find means to inspire oneself, this is not always easy... <laughs> <laughs> but these are some means. So thank you for that question. Thank you, Ajahn. The next question is, I used to be kind and help people in the past, but found that people didn't appreciate and items or money borrowed was never returned, so I stopped helping people. How can I change this mindset? Right. Um... Expecting someone to appreciate it is is really a good way of sabotaging one's own happiness. Actually, that is not that is because if we one gives wholeheartedly, you're not expecting something in return. That's the ideal, isn't it? Not respecting some expecting something in return. And when we do expect appreciation, we do. We do. You know, sometimes people say, "Oh, they could have at least said thank you." And you know, when we do that, when we expect that then that really good intention that we had is really sabotaged and destroyed because we think, oh, why would they bother? You know, they just don't appreciate it. Why we bother is for our own happiness, you know, our own good intention, the happiness of our heart. Whether others appreciate it, that's their business, not our business. We can't control them. So it's their loss. I often say to people, it's their loss if they're not grateful and thankful because... When we are grateful and thankful for the things people do for us, the help they give us, it brings us happiness when we are grateful and thankful. So they've missed out on an opportunity. So please, please don't let the fact that people are not necessarily thankful, they don't say thanks, don't let that stop you from doing it and in really enjoying the happiness that comes from that. Because our spiritual practice is focused on our state of mind, our positive emotions, it cannot cannot control other people's states of mind and <coughs> other people's uh, emotions. It can affect them. But if we expect that, wow, we're going to be disappointed. And, you know, any type of expectation, whether in particularly in meditation, is so detrimental because it will undermine the... Uh, the meditation, because expectation is another word for wanting. We want something from people, and if we want something from the meditation, we can be disappointed. We will be disappointed. 
We're not allowing it to happen. And if we want something from a person and they don't give it, then we're going to be disappointed uh, with the experience that we have had. So please do not let that, you know, stop you from doing uh, good and kind things and just delight in the fact that you're doing good and kind things. And that, that is enough because that's the only, that's the part of the equation you can take care of yourself. <laughs> the other part of the equation, the other person, that's their business. And that's good to keep that in mind. I was talking to somebody today about the three kinds of business. My business, your business, and nature's business. So if other people's uh, lack of gratitude, lack of thanks, is their business, <laughs> not ours. And nature's business is, you know, like the weather, like COVID-19, all these things we cannot control. We have no uh, control over. So this is what I'd say to you. Do not let others' lack of gratitude or thanks stop you from doing things. They are, these are opportunities for you to develop happiness. If they don't develop it, that's their business. That's their loss. So I hope that sort of encourages you to, to continue, you know, doing good things and just delighting it in, in it for yourself, you know. And when you delight in it for yourself, when you don't expect it back, any thanks back from another person it may actually happen that they are thankful they may actually be grateful sometimes people ex uh, pick up these expectations and don't respond because they feel like oh you know they want something back so you know this wholeheartedness this purity is really will bring happiness to you and not to not to be concerned if others do not appreciate it and say thank you so i hope that uh, encourages you a bit <laughs> to do it but be wise too be wise with your giving you know and uh, use some wisdom as well that's always useful thank you ken thank you Ajahn. the next question is how do you begin a meditation practice ah now i'd like to ask uh, Ira Paker if she would like to respond. How do you begin a meditation practice? How would you suggest? Okay. First and foremost, sit like what we're doing now. <laughs> good. Okay, now. I'm just trying to get myself awake. <laughs> <laughs> good, good. Okay. Usually, uh, before we go into a meditation, we there are certain kind of preparation that we have to come uh, to prepare ourselves before we really uh, can have a good sleep. So I assume that you are asking this question as a absolute beginner. So, well, first and foremost, the wish to uh, understand what meditation is all about is very important. Getting a good teacher uh, who is practicing to teach is very important. Finding a proper place or a proper uh, place of teaching is also very important. Um, all those things have to, uh, I, I guess what I would say is to, um, do a little bit of shopping around in areas uh, near you for, for a, a teacher and a proper place that you can actually uh, be supported well to learn. And of course, um, uh, how you can actually prepare for the uh, meditation session itself is uh, when the teachings will be given by the teacher 
in the proper place. Now that is how to start you on meditation. Find a good teacher, find a good place. I hope that answers your question. Would Bante would like to add something to that, Bante, please? That's okay. I think that's good. 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 Am I doing well? Yes, good and well. Yeah. You're awake too. I'm awake. <laughs> good. Good. Thank you, Aya. The next question is, there is a constant tussle between renunciation and wanting to lead a simple life and then get distracted and attracted by different samsaric things like the ne- sorry and and then get distracted and attracted by different samsaric things the next moment how do i proceed right so this is a struggle between renunciation and uh, and samsara this actually this is a this is a, a, a good question because you know it's exactly what the the um, the reason that the Buddha went forth, why he left the home life, why he renounced the palace. He had everything. He had all those pleasures and everything, but he saw the shortcomings in those things. So this renunciation really is that wisdom that's understanding the limits of seeing the pleasures from seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, and touching, and turning towards the source of that enjoyment, that happiness, which is inside us, looking for inner happiness, looking for the developing the inner quest. And that's what renunciation was meant for the Buddha, you know, that leaving all those pleasures and looking for the truth, looking for the solution to old age, sickness and death and looking for the happiness that comes from within, not the happiness from without. And, you know, the the story I often give, people are probably very tired of it, is of Nasruddin searching for the key outside his house under the street light. He was looking outside his house one night under the street lamp and could, was looking on the ground everywhere and his neighbour came out and said he'd help him and the neighbour looked, couldn't, they both couldn't find it. And then the neighbor asked him, do you know where you lost the key? And Nasruddin, being Nasruddin, he said, yes, of course I do. And he said, well, where did you lose the key? And Nasruddin said, inside the house. He said, well, why are we looking outside? He said, because the light is so much better out here. <laughs> and that's why we're out in, the, in seeing, hearing, smelling and tasting and touching. That's where we spend most of our time, out there in that world. And uh, renunciation is is seeing the limits, the limitations of that world, those sensory experiences, and looking for inner happiness, looking for the truth within, looking for direct experience within, understanding re- uh, the reality as it is. And this is the, the reason for renunciation. But renunciation, of course, you know, leads, as you mentioned, to simplicity too in our lives. It simplifies things when we renounce. And that is why, you know, you see a, mon- a monastery um, uh, with monastics, we're living in a much more simple way than uh, most lay people would live at home because we are looking for that happiness within not trying to find it from uh, seeing, hearing, tasting nice food, smelling, touching, all those things. 
which are the usual ways. But it's natural that you should have this tension between renunciation is an idea, a promise. The attachment to our sense experiences, that's, that's, that is a habit that is conditioning from countless lives. So is it little wonder that you feel that tension? I'm not surprised. <laughs> and of course, it's very natural that people, as I, um, when they don't uh, find, um, if, if they don't find inner happiness, they'll go to the outer, outer happiness. And you see that, you know, when monks and nuns uh, disrobe, and they haven't found the peace of meditation, the happiness of meditation, the wisdom that can come from meditation. Then they start to look for the happiness where they were used to find it, which is out there in the world. So this is very uh, is a part of the tensions of of our conditioning, you know, to be in uh, to look for happiness from the senses, but also that inner quest which is there for spiritual to develop the spiritual life to develop the search for truth inner happiness and inner wisdom in experience so this is what i would say and so you know very natural tension playing out there for you so thank you very much for that thank you Arjun. recently my auntie went into a life-threatening surgery hmm. i found that doing meditation was quite passive and I found it more reassuring to do chanting instead. What is your response to my experience? Right. So the that was in response to the auntie's life-threatening um, surgery. Is that right? Yes. That the meditation you didn't find made uh, calm the mind. Sometimes when there's a lot of agitation in the mind, it's better to to do something more active, you know, and for instance, like walking meditation is good. I think chanting is fine. Whatever we do, if we look at the result of that, that is the important thing, you know. If, for instance, from the chanting you felt a lot calmer, a lot steadier in the mind, um, uh, uh, happier, um, also your mind, as it were, was... Uh, um, less worried about auntie's condition, you know, whether she would pull out of the operation or not, then that is very useful. That is something very useful. Um, at those times, you know, when there's a lot of turbulence in the mind, to sit down and meditate may be difficult. That may be difficult. But to do walking meditation, very, uh, very good at those times, and, may, and the chanting as well. Because what the chanting does too is a very important thing, is that it keeps the mind um, occupied, as it were, with one object. It can keep the mind occupied with one object. So the mind doesn't wander. And that way it becomes steadier, uh, more calm, more peaceful, and happier actually in, in the process. Of course, you know, it's possible while you're chanting for the mind to wander. <laughs> I think many people know that experience. But... Oftentimes it doesn't. It will stay with it. And you can use it a bit like a mantra. I know somebody who used the entire Iti Piso like a mantra because he found that his mind was so agitated he needed something longer to keep the mind engaged. So this can be very useful. Plus, the meaning of the chanting can give 
a lot of inspiration too. And for instance, if your auntie was going through this, had this life-threatening situation, then if we did chanting that brings, um, uh, overcomes illness, supports overcoming illness like the Ratana Sutta, the Bojanga Suttas, this can be very, very calming for you. And also you you can, uh, uh, as it were, share that benefit with auntie as well. So it can be something that you feel very appropriate for the situation. So I think this is quite a skillful thing uh, to do. We all have to work with the mind states we have and see what the best we can do with that mind state. So if chanting was to bring, it brought that calmness, brought some happiness, the more some calm to the mind, then that's good. That's good. Uh, not necessary to sit at that time. In fact, your meditation objects become the chanting in a way, could have become. So I hope. So thank you very much for that. Yes. Right. Thank you, Ajahn. We have two more questions and right about on. six more minutes. All right. So the next question um, I will direct to Ajahnadikari. Good. Namaste. If I am conscious when I am dying, should I think about Nibbana so that my rebirth will be suitable to attain Nibbana or should, or should keep my mind empty? I wish all of us Nibbana. <clears throat> yes, the your intention is important. So, so if you if you know about nibbana and if you have that understanding about uh, the the total extinguishment and develop, have you already developed your mind to the still stages? Then it is okay to go to the stillness. But if you haven't developed all these stages. So then the, the intention, the right intention is important to go to the, to the, the next life or how you proceed in the, after the death is uh, give us some level of support by that uh, thought. But mm. it, it is uncertain. So if you have the very powerful uh, past karma, uh, this karma can uh, uh, come out after your death also. So that's why Lord Buddha say it is, it is uncertain. But the last intention, if you, if you have that, uh, uh, develop the mind with the faith, a lot of faith towards the, this Buddhist uh, view about uh, the life, but not just craving to some uh, nibbana, like nibbana is just a perception mm. for a person. But if you have a deeper understanding about nibbana and which kind of thing and how to develop nibbana and all these things, then it is it leads to a different level. So that's why it is it depends on the person. Yeah, and depends on how much you understand and how much you have pra already practiced the path and develop uh, your mind. So just uh, the intention is good. It will lead, uh, if you have uh, enough supporting karma to go ahead 
after the death, then sometimes it leads to a good rebirth. Uh, having uh, with the resources to develop the path or develop the, this uh, uh, knowledge about Buddhism and practices. So that's how, yeah, it, it is a complicated question that depends on the person. <laughs> Thank you, Bhante. The last question I will direct to Aya. Thank you. I find it hard sometimes to balance my Buddhist practice, meditation, eight precepts, with my family life, like cooking dinner or spending time with my family. They are not Buddhist. Any advice? Is he a, is it a he or a she? Cooking dinner, maybe a she. It doesn't matter. Become a monk or a nun. <laughs> That's the advice. <laughs> no. Okay. <laughs> I'm I'm in my funny mood <laughs> to usher funny in the mood. new year with a lot of joy and fun. Yeah. Okay, now of course this is difficult when you are actually uh, living with a, a family who doesn't have the same kind of religious belief as one person, as uh, as oneself. So it is indeed not easy, but. If we are able to train our mind to flow with conditions mm -hmm. at the same time to be able to practice the precepts that is very basic for us, at least, you know, as a Buddhist, the five precepts are so important. I know that for a non-Buddhist to practice the five precepts, it is quite difficult. So it takes a lot of skillful means to blend your life in with family members who may not understand why we are walking that path okay now even for even for a family who may call themselves so-called buddhists it is also not very simple for one who has already um live a life that is not very uh i was how what is the word to say not very um supportive of a very mundane lifestyle Many Buddhists, many many uh, students who have first learned Buddhism, actually do face this kind of problems. Okay, and um, it takes them quite a while. I think I myself have have gone through the same uh, difficulty at first, although um, I didn't face very strong objections, but I did struggle to to ensure that. I do my part as a family member. I do my duties and obligations and also uh, the care and commitment that the family expects of me. I also had to remember that to be a good Buddhist, I need to be tolerant of whatever is happening and also to be accepting, also to be forgiving. So all these things have to be considered uh, while we're practicing at home in a rather... Um, non-supportive non uh, uh, um, situation, environment. And I really would think that uh, it, at the end of the day, it is how we are able to overcome all these tests and challenges in life that actually prove whether we are indeed cultivating or not. To be able to face adversities and not to be very troubled by it. As, uh, as I say, for a beginner like us who have not been well trained in uh, letting go of habits and, and uh, what I call um, 
uh, our so-called views and all that. It is, is, it is indeed not simple. So for me personally, I would think that if you are in a situation where you find that your lifestyle and your family's lifestyle is really not the same, then perhaps you can consider taking the spiritual path. Because if you are very spiritual, I do understand it is very difficult to blend into a family who are not practicing uh, on the same level as us, even if they are Buddhists. Okay, even if they're Buddhists. This is my experience. These are experiences that I encounter with my friends and their families too. All right, even in the Buddhist family, it's not simple. So just now there was a question about the struggle between uh, the uh, renunciation and the holy life. Now, most of the time, we find that many of us who opt for the um, life of a renunciant is mainly because we find that our lay lifestyle is uh, no more, um, how do, what is the word to use? Um, no more Bante, what's the satisfying or sorry satisfying yeah or? it's it's our lifestyle is so different from our from mm. the the lifestyle of our family members or even the friends mm. around us and this is the reason why we oh. decided that okay the mundane life is no more attractive to me yeah. the sense desires that we used to go for are no more attractive to me and this is when we will start to think of what is the meaning of my life? What is the direction that I should be taking? And most of the time, it's because of all these differences in our lifestyle as a, as a worldly person, as a family, uh, what I call a home person, householder's person, uh, householder's, householder's life. All these differences that starts to creep up into our, our uh, daily life that we start to notice that mm, I'm no more attracted by the householder's life. Something is very right with me or very wrong with me. And this when we start to explore. Maybe I should try uh, to, to, to explore the spiritual life. And of course, I'm not encouraging you to just plunge into the spiritual life. I would, again, I always like to tell people, shop around. As a layperson, we can actually have that opportunity to just uh, investigate, investigate on uh, the kind of uh, religious lifestyle uh, that suits us, okay? Some people may just go into the uh, Buddhist lifestyle, but find that, no, Buddhism is not for me. In the end, they may end up as a Catholic or a Christian, who knows? But it's something that is spiritual. So all our spiritual maturity are different. Our spiritual inclinations are different. That's why there are so many kinds of religions out in this world. Uh, we cannot say they are wrong and we are right. Buddhists are only right. We can't say because all of our spiritual maturity will fit into some kind of spiritual teachings out there, right? So we slowly mature uh, after realizing what truth is all about. So I'll, I'll come back to, to the struggles that you are having. I think um, I, I have no idea how old you are and all that, but if you feel that you are still obligated to to uh, fulfill your commitment to your family, okay. As some of us do need to, then please um, try your best to speak to a religious teacher. I believe you, if you are a practicing Buddhist, you probably would be um, uh, uh, in contact with some teachers. Ask for their spiritual advice. If you cannot get good advice, just ask Ajahn Brahm. Okay, he talks about a lot of topics on YouTube, or just. Um, ask any, um, even our, our Ajahn's here, uh, if you have the opportunity. All right.
go for more personal, uh, uh, longer discussions to understand what is happening uh, to me. I'm finding difficulty with my family life and all that. Explore further, always investigate. And then find out what direction you are actually looking for. This is my advice because I know that many of us who finally took the uh, monastic life it was also because of all these differences at home. We couldn't find happiness and at the same time we also feel that we are not being fair to our family members because we are practicing in a different way or living our life in a different way uh, compared to their lifestyle. It's, it just won't fit. So it is really a good time for you to really sit sit back and reflect and also maybe discuss with a religious teacher, right? I, w- I would advise you to do that, really. Okay. So now we will have the uh, chanting. This is the blessing chanting for the new year. And please join in because the wording is there. It will keep you awake. <laughs> maybe give you more energy and hopefully inspire you we had that question about uh, chanting so just uh, try it and see if that brings up energy for you and uh, gives you a blessing too for the the new year gives you that extra strength that inner happiness so please enjoy the chanting Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa Saranang gachami, Dhammang saranang gachami, Sangang saranang gachami, Dutiyampi buddhang saranang gachami, Dutiyampi dhammang saranang Gachami Dutiyampi Sankang Saranang Gachami Tatiyampi Buddhang Saranang Gachami Tatiyampi Dhammang Saranang Gachami Tatiyampi Sankang Saranang gachami Iti piso bhagavarang sambasambuddha Vijajarana sampanno sugato loka vidu Anuttaro purisadamma sarati Sata Deva Manusana Buddha Bhagavati Swakato Bhagavata Dhammo Sanditiko Akaliko Ehipasiko Opanaiko Pachatam Vedita Bovin 
प्रतिपन्नो भगवतो सावक संगो उजु प्रतिपन्नो भगवतो सावक संगो न्याय प्रतिपन्नो भगवतो सावक संगो सामीचि प्रतिपन्नो भगवतो सावक संगो यदिदं चारी पुरिसयुगानि आत्र पुरिसपुगला एस भगवतो सावक संगो आहुनेयो पाहुनेयो दाकिनेयो अंजलि करनियो अनुतरं पुण्याकेतं लोकसाधि यंतं संतं पदं अभिसमेच साको जुच सुजुच सुवचो चास मुद्वानतिमानि संतु सको च सुबरोच आपकिचो च सालु कबुति Santindriyo chanipakocha Apagambo kulesu ananugiddo Nachakuddam samachare kinchiena Vinyu pare upavadeyo Sukhino vake mino hontu Sabe Sata Bhavantu Sukhitata Yeke Jipana Bhutati Tasavata Varava Anavasesa Dikava Yemahantava Metanjasabalokasmin 
Oh, 
amen today. Eating such a one dinner. Buy a bupas amen today. Eating such a one dinner. Roga bupas amen In 
freedom from affliction, in freedom from hostility, in freedom from ill will, in freedom from anxiety, and may I maintain well-being in myself. May you abide in well-being, in freedom from affliction, in freedom from hostility, in freedom from ill-will, in freedom from anxiety, and may you maintain well-being in yourself. May you abide in well-being, in freedom from affliction, in freedom from hostility, in freedom from ill-will, in freedom from anxiety, and may you maintain well-being in yourself. May you abide in well-being, in freedom from affliction, in freedom from hostility, in freedom from ill-will, in freedom from anxiety, and may you maintain well-being in yourself. May everyone abide in well-being, in freedom from affliction, in freedom from hostility, in freedom from ill-will, in freedom from anxiety, and may they maintain well-being in themselves. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Well, very nice. I hope you found the chanting energizing and may it be a blessing for 2021. And may you develop the inner strength, the inner happiness to deal with whatever comes in 2021. Because those inner resources of happiness, strength and wisdom are what will take us through 2021 and will define 2021 as a year when we grew in spiritual uh, depth, in spiritual uh, values, in spiritual happiness. So may 2021 bring that happiness to you, bring that wisdom to you, no matter what comes uh, through the throughout the year. Hopefully this year there will be the vaccine and that will have uh, help uh, um, overcome the coronavirus so i wish you well and of course to keep those words of ajahn brahms in mind make peace be kind be gentle they're always good reminders for developing happiness developing the happiness in action for ourselves and for others so that's the message from ajahn nisarano for 2021 
I hope to see you in 2021 in person, <laughs> not so much online. And I'll pass over to um, Bhante Aranavihari for a brief message from him and then for Ayurapeka. Can be in Sinhala. Yeah, that would be uh, nice. Is it doggy? <laughs> <laughs> Labuau didas visieke nava vasere Samagesit satan Samet yomueva Samagesit satan Maitria karunavet yomueva Samagesit satan Murdu bavet pemineva Me gunadham yamig gehite vedenavanang eke Loke Sielu Satyate Yahapata Pinisa Sang Hindi Mapinisa Pavatina Ekanisa me Labuavu Navasari Kaurut Adishthana Karaganavanam Hundai Maitri Karunavata Multanadin Sameta Multanadin E Same Pinisa Pavatina Situili Divnu Karagan एक तमाई मटे धर्मानुकूलव में दिदास विषय के वासर वेनुएन प्रार्थना करन तीन मुकदे देंग गेवु गेवुनाओ वासरे जीवित वल्ट मोन दिन नसीदुना बहो दुष्करता वल्ट बहो दिने कुटे विविध दुष्करता वल्ट मोन दिन ඒ දුෂ්කරතා වලට මූණ දෙනකොට අකුසල දහම් වලට වැටෙන්නේ නැතුව කුසල දහම් පවත්ව ගන්න නම් හිතේ මෛත්‍රී කරුණාව දියුණු කරගන්නට ඕන. මෛත්‍රී කරුණාව පවත්ව ගන්නට ඕන. සාමයට නැඹුරු වෙන්න ඕන. ඒක නිසා ඉදිරි වසරේ මේ වසංගත රෝගයෙන් මිදිලා කටයුතු කරගන්න අවස්ථාව ලැබේවා කියලා ප්‍රාර්ථනා ඒ මගේ ප්‍රාර්ථනා. I really don't know what to say. Maybe the listeners will think that I will pick eyes out of my mind to say what I'm going to say now. I really feel that COVID-19 is like a divine messenger to humankind, to the human race. COVID-19 has actually indicated clearly the meaning of anicca, dukkha, anatta. COVID-19 has also, at least to me personally, it has brought to me this kind of reminder that we have probably been harming Mother Nature so much. We have done so much harm to Mother Nature. We have been polluting air, sea, land, whatever. So I I do not know. Personally, I take COVID-19 as a reminder for us human, the human race, to sit back and deeply reflect. Shouldn't we stop harming one another? Shouldn't we stop harming environment? harming other sentient beings, harming Mother Nature. 
shouldn't we just try to voluntarily stay at one place and not travel so much, causing so much pollution, running here and there, causing so much stress even to the human mind and to the human body too, which also results in causing a lot of harm to other sentient beings around us. I do not know. I take it as a big lesson from COVID-19 for the human race to really go into deep reflections, change our lifestyle. Ajahn has mentioned that tonight's topic is to, to be kind, to be gentle. What's the third one? And uh, to make peace. Yeah. And make peace. Mm. I really feel that we have to make peace not only within ourselves, but also amongst our human race, with all other sentient beings, with Mother Nature, with the environment, with the whole world, with the whole universe. I really hope that we can really go into deep reflections. COVID-19 has changed our lifestyle so much. Perhaps it's going to be another permanent, I wouldn't say permanent, but another kind of change that we need to adapt into our lifestyle to live a different kind of livelihood in the future. Who knows? But I take it positively that COVID-19 is trying to indicate something to us all. I really hope that we are able to realize the true meaning of what COVID-19 is trying to tell us. This is my deep reflection. I hope it doesn't sound too passive. I hope that we can just look at the positive sides of things that's happening. And may we all be really strengthened with inner strength, with deep understanding of how to make changes to take care of one another, and to have good health, peace and happiness for the new year and for other years to come. Please stay safe. Please stay peaceful. Please stay happy. Have the strength to overcome whatever it takes to overcome. There is a lot of struggle in our lives. With COVID or not, we still have struggle. Of course, COVID has given us another kind of struggle. So we hope that we are able to come to a level of peace and acceptance and be able to adapt. As the Chinese saying go, just like water taking the shape of any containers, right? Taking the form of any containers that is being poured into, may we be as adaptable as what uh, Mother Nature wants us to be, to be at one with Mother Nature. I hope we will all be harmless, we will all be peaceful, and we all care about one another, whether seen or unseen, known or unknown, near or far away, born or to be born. Please take care, please stay safe, please be happy, please be healthy. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. sadhu, 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 sadhu.